Good evening to you. Uh, let's turn to the book of uh, Daniel this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And uh, if you're with us tonight without a Bible, you'll definitely want to flag one of the people coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and uh, so that you can hear uh, the teaching but also see it with your own eyes. And on the Sunday nights, we try to cover a little more territory than usual, so important to have a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you uh, tonight. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God back in Babylon, and he brought the articles into the treasury house of his God. Allow me a little introduction to the book of of Daniel this evening. It was uh, written by Daniel. Uh, He uh, mentions himself as the author uh, several times throughout the letter. You might think, uh, how could it not be written by Daniel? It's named after him. He self-identifies in uh, in the book. I think that uh, conclusively any debate in terms of Daniel being the author of the book of Daniel is put to rest uh, by Jesus when he identifies uh, the prophecy uh, concerning the abomination that causes desolation. He ascribes it to Daniel the prophet and uh, Jesus does in his Olivet Discourse. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation uh, spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, and then let those who are in Judea uh, flee to the mountains. Why spend any time on this at all? The, the reason is, is that because there are those who, uh, because of the Uh, amazing accuracy of the prophecies that are found in the book uh, of Daniel, but they don't want to believe uh, uh, the Bible. And, uh, and, and so what they do is they, they uh, look at the book of Daniel, they see how uh, to a T the, the detail of the prophecies that he lays out here uh, were fulfilled, and they conclude that it must have been written by someone other than Daniel, probably in the second century, long after all the events that are described, uh, most of the events that are described in the book of Daniel have already been fulfilled. That's, that's how amazing the prophecy is. Even the enemies of, of the Bible and its divine inspiration look at it and say, it is so detailed, so perfect, it could only be written by someone who is writing uh, after uh, the fact rather than uh, what uh, Daniel reveals to us here in the very first verse, and that is that the book was written uh, in the 6th century B.C. prior to all of the events, and thus uh, a a forger, uh, this forger that was merely, uh, rather than being this forger that was merely uh, writing history as opposed to uh, writing uh, prophecies. And of course, all of this is is, uh, nonsense under that uh, theory. Uh, Daniel is known as Daniel the prophet, not Daniel the historian. Uh, he, he spoke of these events uh, long before they ever uh, took, uh, took place. And the fact that 
uh, and there are aspects of the book of Daniel that are uh, yet future, as Jesus spoke specifically of Daniel chapter 9, when we get there, of the abomination that causes desolation. The date uh, of the prophecies are uh, given to us throughout the book. Uh, the first date mentioned is here in verse 1, and it's the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, which is 605 uh, B.C., giving you that idea about 2,600 uh, years ago. The final date that's mentioned in the book is uh, in chapter 10, the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and that date is 537 B.C., and thus it lets us know that uh, the duration of uh, Daniel's uh, prophetic ministry and, and his ministry to God, uh, there covered a period of some 70 uh, years from the time that he was taken as a captive to Babylon uh, from uh, Judea, from Jerusalem, and uh, he lived probably uh, well into his 90s in the course of, of serving not only uh, Nebuchadnezzar with uh, Babylon, but then also the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire for a number of years. The setting of the book is Babylon. It was the capital of the uh, ancient world at that time in which Daniel is alive and uh, Daniel served, uh, as we've seen going through the book of Jeremiah and then also in the book of Ezekiel and Daniel. They very much overlap in terms of, of time. And uh, Daniel was a contemporary of both uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And uh, Daniel served in kind of the relative comfort of the capital a city of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon itself. And just because it was uh, comfortable it d doesn't mean that it wasn't a, a, a very dangerous place, a harder place in many ways uh, to serve God than uh, maybe even, well, how can you compare the difficulty of these great men of the Old Testament? But Ezekiel, he was prophesying at the same time of Daniel, about 50 miles down the road in what was basically uh, a labor camp a slave camp, uh, Tel Aviv, and uh, just outside a suburb kind of of, uh, of the book of, uh, or the city of, of Babylon. Uh, there's no record that uh, they ever came into contact with each other, but Ezekiel was very aware uh, of Daniel. He mentions him several times uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel. Jeremiah was prophesying in a different place altogether in, uh, in the city of, of Jerusalem. Daniel's position in Babylon, he, he was taken uh, as a Jewish captive from Jerusalem, and he was, uh, as you might remember from looking at the other uh, it, it, Ezekiel and also at Jeremiah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and Judea uh, three times. And each time he took a, a greater number of captives of, of the Jewish people uh, as slaves back to Babylon uh, with him. Daniel was taken captive in the first of those three conquests of Jerusalem uh, by by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Ultimately, he becomes a very, very high official in the Babylonian uh, government. He becomes essentially Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff. I mean, it's just as, as high as you could rise uh, in, in that environment. And then when Medo-Persian uh, Medo-Persians conquered Babylon, Daniel was made uh, uh, the first among three presidents uh, in the government structure of the Medo-Persian Empire under King Darius, and he also served in the same capacity under King Cyrus. Now, the, the single great message of the, the book of Daniel is the providence of God. 
and I like to put it, however imperfectly it may, it, it, the definition may be, in terms of the providence of God, is, is that he rules over all and he overrules all for his purposes. He is marching uh, human history toward its God-appointed end, and we see that continually in the book of Daniel, and we'll, we'll always want to understand that uh, the, probably the great reason that the book of Daniel was given to the Jewish people and to us is to understand that God is in control of human history. And when you can tell human history uh, ahead of time the way that he does, as he doesn't live in the time-space uh, continuum, uh, he uh, then uh, clearly he is in, in control of, of all of that. And so uh, human history is moving forward to his end. And the book is intended to be a comfort to us when it looks a little iffy uh, at any point in, in, in human history, especially for a child of God. But also because Daniel lived so faithfully for the Lord while serving in what was an extremely pagan uh, context and environment of Babylon. His life provides us with really invaluable instruction on how to live for God and even the, the, most, uh, the darkest, most demonized uh, pagan environments uh, that the, the world has to offer. And uh, Daniel in this book has been an encouragement, strong encouragement to God's people who have uh, lived in those kind of environments for 2,600 years from the time of Daniel and uh, right up into this day. And so his life instructs us in a powerful way uh, on the fact that we can live for God, we can minister for, for God, no matter how dark the neighborhood is, the city is, the culture is, uh, the workplace is, our family is, any, any of those uh, kind of uh, things. And of course, it's uh, uh, very um, helpful for us as Christians. Uh, Jesus spoke about the fact that we are the light of the world. That means it's a very dark context, and we are light in a very dark context, and we're the salt of the earth as well. And so this book gives us uh, what, uh, invaluable, again, instruction uh, for me, and I know for uh, for, for each of us and how to uh, live for God and navigating all of the uh, darkness and, and, uh, and idolatry of the world uh, around us. And, and Daniel's life is intended to communicate to us that if Daniel could do it, and do it even under a lesser covenant, uh, then, then we are able to do it in the, the new covenant that is in the blood uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and if Daniel could uh, manage this in the context of the Babylonian Empire, then, then his example uh, that he gives to us, God gives to, uh, to us of him in the scriptures, that uh, it will hold up in any environment we find ourselves in in, in the world. Uh, Daniel's uh, one of only uh, two characters in uh, the Old Testament uh, of whom nothing is recorded in terms of wrongdoing. And the other is, is uh, Joseph. And the fascinating thing is that both of them uh, excelled for God and uh, Joseph in this, uh, again, a comparably dark pagan environment of ancient Egypt and, and Daniel in, in Babylon. The book uh, breaks itself into two six-chapter halves, and uh, the first half centers upon uh, Daniel's uh, witness in his ministry in the royal court in, in Babylon, 
and then uh, chapters 7 through 12 focus upon Daniel's vision concerning uh, the future of the Middle Eastern world all the way to the end of the age. Uh, Notice there in verse 1 you have uh, the description, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, his conquest of, of, of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then uh, right on its heels, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It's fascinating. You have a, a, a two different descriptions of exactly the same event. And uh, the, the first, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That is a description of these events from the earthly vantage point. And then, uh, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is looking at the, the same situation uh, from a heavenly or an eternal uh, perspective. And the order is very, very significant and I think instructive to us. I think that you find in your life that most often when we are uh, processing life, even as God's children, we are processing life uh, initially uh, in the light of the immediate, the temporal of what we see before us. And that's the first thing that comes up uh, in our mind. Here it is, Nebuchadnezzar is taking uh, Babylon. And, uh, and, and so that's our, our first reaction. The key here is to never stop with uh, anything that we see in this world, uh, and, and certainly not major events in the world, and to stop and see it solely in the context of uh, the temporal or from the earthly perspective, uh, but to go on and see that same event in the light of the eternal, how God sees it. And we will never understand any, uh, any event that is happening in the physical realm of the world that we live in, we will never properly understand it until we see that and then bring it under the perspective of God that is found in in the Word of God. So I'll give you an example some of you may relate to very, very well. You're watching the evening news and uh, some bit of nonsense comes on there and you're ready to throw the remote through the television. This is what they're doing now or whatever uh, it might be. And so uh, here is this processing now of of what it is that, what new goofiness people are, are up to at this point in time, not the least of which are political leaders. And, and so we're fully aware and we're fully capable of, of processing on that level. And we can become furious, we can become uh, frustrated, and we'll remain there if we don't take what we're seeing there in the temporal and now bring it to the Word of God. And I find that the things that frustrate me most and make me uh, the, the angriest is if I'll just stop and pull back and look at it in the context of heaven and the word of God, it's all fulfillment of scripture. What am I sweating this for? This is all marching toward God's appointed end and he's told me it would be like this. Why does it shock me every time I see it uh, move forward, not by miles, but by inches. That's how uh, engaged I am in, in the whole process. And, and so it, 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 we, we experience that. And, we, and when we realize, okay, wow, what am, what am I so upset about? 
Jesus said this is exactly the way that it would be. I'm to interpret this, meaning that, uh, you you know, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in in the light of this. And it's true not only in watching the news or watching gigantic events in life, when something happens in our own individual and personal life, uh, immediately we look at it from the earthly uh, realm. And it isn't until we take and process it now, usually in prayer, reading the Word of God, process it in the light of the Word of God that, and, and begin to say, Lord, I believe concerning this. You have told me that you're going to work this together for good because uh, I love you and I'm the called according to your purpose. And now I'm looking at it spiritually and everything changes. The material uh, spoils that were uh, taken here in... Um, uh, from uh, by Nebuchadnezzar is 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 detailed here in, in verse two. King Jehoiakim is uh, uh, he was king of Judah. He was defeated. He was allowed to continue as the king, but he had to pay tribute to uh, to Babylon, and he would later die and be succeeded by his son uh, Jehoiachin. And so Nebuchadnezzar took all of this spoil and uh, and he deposited it in the treasure house of his pagan god in Babylon. Uh, the, the, the false god uh, Marduk, and, uh, and of course he takes all of these things from Jerusalem, and they're a trophy of Marduk's uh, power over Yahweh, power over uh, Jehovah, and, and so he considers the, the conquest of, of Jerusalem, he considers the taking of the spoil and evidence that his God is greater than uh, the God of the Bible. And that was the, that was the understanding of deities in the ancient world. And so uh, they, they, they viewed their gods, the superiority of their gods on the basis of, of victories of this kind. Now they're, they're going to find out very, very different, uh, differently when, uh, and, uh, when we get to chapter 5, when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belteshazzar, brought all of these uh, uh, instruments and, and vessels out of the uh, treasury in order to profane them and use them in uh, drinking wine and worshiping the god uh, of uh, uh, the various gods of, of Babylon. And uh, that's when the meeny, meeny, tekel, you farce and uh, the handwriting on the wall comes into play and uh, Belteshazzar realizes immediately uh, that uh, we may have conquered God's people, uh, but we did not conquer their God. And, uh, and the only reason we conquered God's people was because of their own disobedience and their own rebellion against him. This has nothing to do with Babylon and with Judah. This has something to do with God disciplining uh, his, his children. And we see the same thing in the Old Testament concerning Dagon when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, you remember, and they, they put the Ark of the Covenant before Dagon as he's in his place in the temple, and the next day Dagon is on his face, uh, the image before the, uh, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the presence of God. Well, that's kind of embarrassing. The priest dusted him off, put him back on his pedestal again, and the next day he was falling down again. Only his head, his arms, and his legs were broken off. Uh, irredeemable situation. And God was communicating the same thing. Uh, Listen, you won a battle. You won a battle because my people uh, put me in a place where I had to move against them. Uh, But don't ever think you have defeated their God uh, by virtue of uh, of, of defeating uh, them. And when God's people fail to be a witness for him among the nations, God will rise up and he will become his own uh, witness. He knows how to uh, protect, uh, protect himself 
and to protect his own uh, reputation. Now, um, verse 3. And then the king instructed uh, Aphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted, and all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine of which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, from among those uh, of the sons of Judah that were chosen were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them, the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, uh, to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and then to Azariah, the name Abednego. And uh, so he got a hyphenated name. <laughs> so... Um, I hope the other guys didn't feel left out on it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's instruction here to Aphanes, who is the, uh, Ashpenaz, rather, who is the, the master uh, of the eunuchs. He was responsible in his responsibility to Nebuchadnezzar. He was responsible for the education of the royal princes that were uh, born to Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, as well as responsible for taking care of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, harem. But clearly, we see that he traveled with Nebuchadnezzar on his, uh, his military uh, campaigns, as he, as he does here, and uh, and perhaps uh, as, uh, for the very reason he's put to use here, and that is for the purpose of spotting talented people among the cities and the countries that were being uh, conquered and, uh, and to spot among the diplomats, the, among uh, the royalty of those nations, uh, the uh, uh, people that could then be taken by Nebuchadnezzar and used for his purpose. The command that, that Nebuchadnezzar gave to uh, uh, Ashpenaz is given there in the latter part of verse 3 and in, into verse 4, and that is to select some young men from among the general population, and he was instructed to specifically look uh, not through the, the, the general population as a whole, uh, but among the king's descendants, among the king's bloodline, uh, and from among the nobles, the nobility, uh, so for uh, some of them to be brought back to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, court. And so he was instructed to select young men from uh, among the bloodlines of the king and the noble class and, uh, and, and selecting uh, slaves from that particular class would have served several purposes uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. When you are the ruler of a world-ruling empire, you're always looking for good people. Anyone that owns a business is always looking for good people. And how much more when you've got a world-ruling empire and you're trying to find uh, people can, who can help you make it even uh, stronger. Uh, we do it, as we've mentioned before in the other books, we do it uh, historically in the United States through immigration or through uh, H-1B visas. And so uh, to take these young men who were the cream of the crop there uh, in 
in, uh, in Judah would have strengthened Babylon and it would have weakened Judah at the same time, which is precisely what he wanted to do. Another advantage to taking the cream of the crop here was to keep uh, the rulers in Jerusalem on their best behavior. Essentially, uh, we have uh, slaves. We have captives. They happen to be your sons. And uh, so if you want to pull any monkey business uh, again, uh, then uh, realize that we've got you in a a very, very uh, vulnerable uh, place. And then Nebuchadnezzar might have thought that it was a good idea to train up some uh, Jewish leaders who would be sympathetic to Babylonian uh, ways in case he needed to put them in power one day in Jerusalem. His reign would not last long enough for that to happen but to put them in power in Jerusalem so you would have uh, a Jewish representative of Babylon there, someone who was also sympathetic uh, to uh, the, the Babylonian empire and, and government. And all of it is a part of, of producing stability within the Babylonian empire. Nebuchadnezzar had no idea that the Babylonian empire was only going to last 70 years. It looked like something that was going to last uh, hundreds of years. And then, and, and then certainly their presence in, in his court, these, these young men who were selected, would have been a, a very pleasurable uh, reminder to Nebuchadnezzar uh, of his successful conquest of, of Judah. And so uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and others were taken. You notice the criteria that were given, the criterion for uh, for uh, the young men that were to be chosen. Number one there in, is in verse four. They were to be young men. Uh, they were to have no blemish, no flaws at all physically. Uh, to be good-looking, and the idea is to be, uh, to be handsome, to be strong, to be athletic, uh, gifted in all wisdom, uh, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, and then uh, able. In other words, they, they possess the poise that would be required to stand in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar in, in, uh, uh, in, in uh, uh, his reign and, and in, uh, in his decrees and in all of his different kinds of, of activities they would have, uh, these men would need to have that kind of an aptitude uh, to, to uh, be able to properly handle that kind of an environment that would please uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, properly. And uh, so they had to be superior, uh, both in their uh, outward appearance and also in their in- intelligence. And again, you might remember in the Old Testament when the Queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon, she walked away and she marveled at Solomon's wisdom, not only in what he said, but in how he ordered his entire court, how he ordered uh, uh, the help in the dining room, uh, the help in his throne room, how all of it worked works so seamlessly and uh, uh, beautifully. And so everything about, I mean, when you're the head of a world-ruling empire and, and as egotistical as we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, uh, everything you believe reflects upon you, and indeed it does. So everything had to be perfect. Uh, and so even the people that stood before him as servants uh, needed to be that, that kind of, of a caliber in order to uh, impress all of the visitors with the greatness of, of the empire. I think all of this is a very important application uh, to all of us, and the younger we are, the, the, even the greater application, but it, it's an important application to all of us. And, and, and here we see that God has a plan 
for your life. Uh, but so does Babylon, and, and so does the devil. And uh, to uh, possess whatever is valued by Babylon or to possess whatever is valued by any culture we find ourselves in in the world. And for Daniel and his, his three friends there in Babylon, it was good looks, it was smarts, and it, it was being educated and coming from connected royal families. And whenever someone possesses what is valuable to uh, the culture that they now find themselves in, that makes you an especial target uh, of that culture to pull you into its orbit and, and then to exploit you. And so the, their possession, possession of, of good looks and high intelligence for these uh, 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 four men, they, it created temptations for them in life that others didn't have. And it wasn't just true of Babylon uh, and, uh, 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 to possess whatever is valued in any culture, including our own. And what is valued in our culture is money, wealth, good looks, a good job, talent, athleticism, uh, position. And if you possess those things and, and you need to recognize it, if you do, because this is not a time for false humility uh, in, in the face of all of this. And, and then to realize I possess those things or one or two of those things and then to realize that uh, as wonderful as they may be viewed by the culture, uh, to realize that it will make you a target of the world and it will make you a target of, of the devil in a way that uh, others who do not possess those things uh, are not. So, for instance, a person with money who can afford just about anything that they would uh, ever want to uh, buy in life, they will face temptations in, 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 in their life far greater than the person who only earns enough money uh, to keep a roof over their head and to keep food uh, on, uh, on the table. And, and, and that person will not face anywhere near the temptation that, that, that money opens uh, uh, up to in terms of, of temptations. And if you possess what is valued in this culture, you will be open to a whole world of temptations that others are not, and you must be aware of that. And you must be aware of the fact that you will be targeted by those who want what you have. And you will be targeted a lot earlier in life for those things than those who do not possess those things. The first time I noticed this in, in action was when I was um, a, a proud seventh grader at uh, uh, Ridgeview uh, uh, Junior High. And Ridgeview Junior High School in Napa was a three-year school. Junior high was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade in, in that uh, school district. And I noticed as a, as a seventh grader watching kind of the, the dynamics of this new thing that I found myself in, in the middle of and trying to avoid being canned, 
uh, everyone was, uh, that was the great concern of every sixth grader, that everyone that went to uh, Ridgeview would be canned in the first week of, uh, of attending school there. But I, I noticed how all of the prettiest girls, uh, they all got grabbed up very, very quickly by, uh, by the boys who were two years older than them and uh, boys who had their own plans now for them. And then to watch within a period of a month or two months to watch uh, these young girls go from innocence and uh, naivety to something very, very different. And it happened very, very quickly. Uh, They were targeted immediately because they possess something that is valued uh, by our culture that people want to exploit for themselves. And it's really true of all of us, but I think especially important uh, for some of us here tonight, if you possess money or wealth or good looks or you have a good job, again, position, athleticism, at any age in life, as we'll see in Daniel, you must learn to guard those things with a purpose of heart by the standard of God's word or you will be destroyed by those very things earlier and faster than the person who does not possess those things. And it's important to understand that. And to understand it earlier, those of us who are a little bit older, we've watched this play out our entire lives. We recognize how it happens. I remember one time I was speaking at a Calvary Chapel in Florida. It was a large large Calvary Chapel. So large they had one of their ministries and kind of meeting groups that met was a group called Models for Christ. And uh, I I walked into that place. I wasn't speaking to them, but they were gathered for the the conference uh, uh, thing. And I had never been in a room with uh, so many good-looking people in my entire life. Uh, Present company excluded. (laughs) But, I mean, it was just shocking how many people that look like that could all be in one room. And, and this ministry called Models uh, for Christ. And here uh, 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 among them was this recognition on their part uh, uh, of the need to walk closely to God, the need uh, to something had been given to them that could destroy them as easily as make them. And, and the purpose, uh, uh, importance of having a purpose of heart so as to not be destroyed because of a gift that they had from God. And if it's not uh, handled properly, Your attractiveness, your uh, intelligence will prove to be a curse rather than a blessing over the long haul of life. And and really, I pity the person who does not understand this. You ever see somebody, whether it's male or female or whatever it might be, and nothing sexual about it at all, but you just just see somebody someplace and and that person is just too good-looking for their own good. And I mean, when you're younger, I mean, you envy it. You're just, oh, man, why can't I, you know? And, and, and then you live a few years later on in life, and, and, uh, and, and you see that kind of a person, and, and you see them, and you can almost come to pity them because you know that Babylon and the world and the devil will come after them in a way that they won't come after the rest of us. And uh, sometimes before uh, a person knows the Lord, 
and even knows how to purpose in their heart to keep these things guarded by a standard uh, of conduct and decision-making that comes from the Word of God. But the wonderful encouragement here is that Daniel and his friends were just uh, these kind of people, very intelligent, very, very sharp, very, very attractive, and, uh, and uh, they successfully res- resisted this kind of attention, and uh, so can we, but Daniel's example has to be followed in this regard. You notice Nebuchadnezzar's appointment for him in verse 5 in terms of food and drink. It was really an investment in them, the daily provision of food and drink. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar feed them properly during their period of training, you would expect that over the course of three years, they want people starving to death, and, uh, but he made sure that they were fed the very same food that was being uh, fed uh, uh, to the king, the very same rich food, the very same uh, wine. And I don't think that the purpose behind all of this was in order for uh, Nebuchadnezzar to show his love and his generosity for uh, the slaves that he had, he had brought out of, uh, of uh, uh, Judah. And uh, I don't doubt that behind all of this is an attempt to flatter them. You get kind of the Stockholm Syndrome that we uh, have given a title to it, even in our age, in order to make them feel uh, indebted to their captors and to kind of uh, lessen their ability to resist in the face of of this kind of kind uh, treatment. Additionally, I don't doubt that the intention was to create a new comfort in these young men uh, and to create an appetite within them for uh, comfort and for luxury. So in order to now expose them to the good life there in Babylon and, uh, and, and look at that life that Babylon had to offer in an attempt to get them to forget uh, all about uh, the food and the drink and what it was that they ate and drank in their, in their homeland, their native land. In other words, there is a very, very serious indoctrination that is going on here uh, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And I think the devil used the same thing to try and make us uh, forget uh, so often the humbleness and the relative uh, simplicity of our home where we were raised with a Christian heritage or at least uh, the world comes forth and wants to show us the world and, and, and to make uh, what we were raised in and, uh, and a godly life and the simplicity of it to make it look dull and attractive uh, by, by comparison. And so uh, they offer to here to show uh, us uh, all that we've been missing now in our Christian upbringing. Look at that, what you were raised there in Jerusalem. Look at what you were raised in uh, under the, the oversight uh, of your, your parents and all. And now, welcome to Vegas. Welcome to the lights, the camera, the action, man. Jump in. This is what life is, is really like. And, and the world is, is very, very uh, good at doing this. And, and the, this can be very, very intoxicating, uh, especially the younger that we are. I think over and against this being wowed by the world in this way, much less being seduced and, and, and becoming addicted to the comfort and the luxury of of the world, Jesus declared, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Wow, there goes the whole American economy. <laughs> uh, 
Paul declared, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And uh, everything else, uh, all these things will be added uh, unto you. And so, uh, as we will see, Daniel doesn't fall for uh, any of this. Uh, this rich food and all of this being offered to him. And Daniel and his friends were especially susceptible to it. Remember, they have been taken captive from Jerusalem at a time in which a siege was laid upon Jerusalem to bring its surrender. In other words, people were starving to death in that city. And, uh, and what they were eating and whatever thing would crawl or run or everybody just trying to stay alive another day. And then here they come into this scene and it's like an, uh, an unending uh, smorgasbord or whatever it might be. High end. Uh, uh, and, and, and yet he resists it. The, the three years of training that are described here in in verse 5, uh, the, uh, all of this, they probably begin all of this they're in their early teens, uh, probably uh, certainly no more than 14 years old when all of this I- is occurring. And the purpose of the training program was to uh, immerse them in Babylonian education, in Babylonian thought, Babylonian worldview, and, uh, and in religion. And I mean, this is an intense three-year indoctrination that is, is occurring. And, uh, and it would have involved language. Think about it. They had to learn an entirely new language in three years. Had to be fluent in it in order to stand in the king's uh, presence. And they're learning about astronomy, mathematics, literature, agriculture, architecture, as well as as a part of their education, a, uh, a, a, a deep knowledge and understanding of Babylon's religions, Babylon's gods, all of the, the magic, the charms, the omens, the, the astrology and all of that, and it would have been a, a deep, deep exposure to spiritual darkness. And the length of time is significant. I mean, for three years, it's such a a formative time in their life. I mean, I think most of us look back and see that, uh, you know, 14 to 17, 14 to 21, what a formative period within our lives. Those are years we never forget in terms of what what happened in in our lives and the experiences that, that occurred there. And, and here they are, and, 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 and all of this is, is being given to them, uh, really not just to give them a, a bit of Babylonian learning and, and thought to be put alongside the learning of, of, their, of their Hebrew kind of background on, on, on an equal par. This three years of intense indoctrination would have, would have had more than that in mind. This is an attempt at complete indoctrination in uh, Babylonian everything, an attempt to simply overwhelm whatever religious or other worldview they had been raised in at home. It is, it is uh, it, it simply a brainwash that it is occurring for three, three years or something very, very close to it in order to attempt to separate them from their previous Jewish culture and, and, and religion and learning. Uh, years ago, I, I remember hearing a Calvary Chapel pastor who I consider to be a friend speaking at a conference, 
and, and he, uh, he spoke about public education in the United States and the schools associated with it. He called them indoctrination centers. Uh, to this day, he will not call them schools. He calls all of them indoctrination uh, uh, centers. And uh, maybe at the time, as he was saying that, that kind of thing, you know, we, some of us might have dismissed it as really kind of excessive several, several years ago. But uh, uh, no one, I think, can argue the fact that, uh, at least in schools in the, in the, the state of California, uh, that they have become indoctrination centers. And less concerned about uh, edu- uh, education, true education, and more in indoctrinating in terms of worldview, in terms of morality, in terms of away from spirituality, uh, the, these kind of things. It's a social experiment that, that, is, that is going on under the guise of education. Those education is, is uh, occurring. And, uh, and, and though there are many, many wonderful people that are Christians and in, in, uh, sent, placed by God in, in the middle of that, that mission field. But it isn't just schools. It is the entire culture that we're in. We say, oh boy, you know, I mean, here we are safe in the United States of America where we've got freedom. I mean, we're, not, we're not like a Babylon, some kind of a totalitarian state or like in some kind of a communist uh, country. We're free to think what we want to think as if no indoctrination is going on around us all the time. Just ask any parent who's trying to raise a, 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 a Christian child in this culture and ask them if, they're not, if they are not spending just as much time fighting against uh, the fleshly nature of that child and forming it just as much time against the influence and indoctrination of the entertainment and pop culture. Uh, that is in this culture. No wonder why people aren't having uh, children at the same degree as, as, as they once did. You have to fight the entire world to raise a child in the things of, of the Lord today. The whole thing has become uh, 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 Babylon. The whole world has become an indoctrination center. And Paul warned us that it would be, be the case. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beg you please, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of uh, God. And nowhere is the world's effort uh, more concerted in terms of indoctrination than against uh, people that hold to the truth of the Bible and hold to uh, a, a worldview that comes from the Bible. And so here they've got this three-year scholarship, finest education in Babylon. It's a, a equivalent of our university-level uh, scholarships are for four years. And uh, what every single person needs to understand and certainly every single Christian, is that you are, when you go into these environments, that you are not going into a neutral learning environment. Every school is an indoctrination center uh, of some kind. Every class has some worldview. It has some position, some morality that is always being uh, advanced. There's nothing neutral in the world. Uh, Not education, not anything. And this is why every Christian, certainly every Christian youth, uh, not waste uh, your youth 
and thinking, ah, this is the time I can just, uh, you know, uh, blow out and just be a kid and not take the world seriously or really take my relationship with God seriously and, and go deep into the things uh, 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 of uh, of the Lord because I'm not an adult uh, yet, rather than using that time to go very, very deep in, in your faith and becoming secure in your knowledge of, of God and secure in your knowledge of, of the word, word of God as well. And then most important of all is to go deep in a personal, a real living personal relationship with God so that when it gets challenged, and it will get challenged, that it will, uh, in a post-Christian culture, that we will then process the challenge in the light of what we already know to be true, whatever the challenge is is, uh, to it. And when it's challenged and we have no answer to the challenge, and that will happen, especially the younger we are in, in, is, is a Christian in, in the world, to then uh, take those challenges, and uh, whether it's on a job site or university or talking with uh, other people, take those challenges and go back to the Word of God and find out what is God's answer to this challenge that is being raised uh, by our culture, and to use that as an opportunity to go deeper into the Scriptures as well. You might not um, uh, recognize it concerning me. I don't wear a badge or anything uh, related to it. But when I was a brand new Christian at Calvary Chapel, Napa, I, I led the street evangelism team. And uh, we would go out on the streets of Napa every Wednesday or Thursday, and I think it was Thursday night, and we would witness to anybody that was uh, down there and share the Lord with them. And I get, of course, you're getting in lots of conversations, and, and as a new Christian, and it can happen to me today too, but as a new Christian, I would be stumped continually by questions that people would ask, and I didn't have the answer to it. And I would say, if you're downtown here next Thursday... I'll be right in this area again, and I'll have an answer for you. And then using the opportunity to, to, for those challenges of the culture to then find out what uh, the uh, research it, find out what the answer is, and to use it as an opportunity uh, to, to grow. And I think that uh, those challenges forced me to grow in a way that I might not have otherwise grown, but it, it's to, the, the important to... Important to um, to use it that way. I noticed that Daniel didn't protest the education, uh, though obviously an awful lot of it didn't match the grid of Scripture. But he, he sifted through it. Uh, he learned uh, what they wanted him to learn. But it's one thing to learn what uh, instructors want us to learn. It's another thing to give those truths uh, a place within our mind and within our heart. And, and, and how uh, we view, view life. And so he, he learned what they wanted him to learn, but he only accepted as truth what met the standard of, of Scripture and, and only what mat- matched Scripture did he allow to take a formative place within, within his heart and, and in his mind. And I think that every child of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit and, and has a working knowledge of the Word of God can do the same thing in whatever environment God uh, puts us in. It is important to notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not moved from their faith in God at all, uh, not once, not even remotely in, uh, in anything that they were exposed to 
in Babylon, including that that three-year indoctrination, and we shouldn't be uh, moved either. Sometimes I think the younger that we are, the easier it is to be moved, uh, but the little bit older we get uh, in life, and when we look beyond the indoctrination, I remember I had a, 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 a cultural anthropology instructor in junior college, and a nice guy in a lot of respects. And so he's laying out all of this thing, and the first thing he said on the first day was basically, uh, don't anybody quote the Bible to me for the rest of the semester. I'm not putting it down. I'm just telling you I don't hold the view, and I'm not going to give it a platform here. And uh, so it was a semester of complete indoctrination and, uh, on evolution and beyond. And, uh, and, but the, the, the one thing that... Uh, I, had had a, I had had a background in the Bible in, for some years growing up. Not much of one, but I did. This was before I'd committed my life to the Lord. And, uh, and so I listened, I processed... I held on to what I wanted to hold on and how I understood things from the Bible as best as I understood it that, at that time. I learned what I needed to get A's and B's on the tests and, and then went forward. But always in the midst of the indoctrination to look at the people that hold the view that they're trying to indoctrinate you in. And Jesus said wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the quality of human being that that wisdom produces. And if once you've walked with the Lord for a while and had some life experience, and, and then you watch these indoctrinations and what it turns people into, the bondages that are introduced into their lives, or whatever it, it, it might be, the intellectual blindness that's required in order to, to hold the view... And then after you've walked with the Lord for a while and, you realize, and then you look at, look at, the, look at the quality of human being that the truth of God, the word of God produces in, in a, a person. And I have never seen anything that has been advanced by the culture that produces a human being that even remotely approaches the quality of, of human being in terms of peace and hope and meaning and so forth, as a knowledge of the Word of God produces uh, uh, within us. And so uh, here they are. It, it didn't move them. And, uh, and f- again, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing the Word of God a little bit, there shouldn't be a, an environment in the world that a Christian can't go into. Learn what we need to learn in, in that in- environment. So much of life is teaching us what not to believe and what not to do if we know how to switch sides of our brains related uh, to these kind of, uh, of environments, learn to re- recognize the error and then reject it. So the, as the old saying goes, to, uh, to eat the meat and then spit out the bones. But, but it does also require, most importantly, as we see in Daniel, and we'll see him through all the way into his 90s as we go through the book, is that it also requires, in order to stand in these environments, a, a real uh, a living personal relationship with God. And a relationship with God that means more to me than anything anyone could offer me, even anything Babylon could offer me in exchange 
for what I have in my personal uh, relationship uh, with, uh, with the Lord. And today, uh, so often we hear it, and, it, and it, it's, uh, it's almost epidemic, and, it, and the statistics uh, bear it out. So often you hear uh, of Christians who leave home, they leave home for uh, college or, or whatever it, 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 at the age of 18, and then they blow out into sin. Uh, I, I had a guy that w- w- I needed some work done in my house, and he came over, and it was a little bit of electrical work, and and, and he did it, and, and we got to talking, and of course, I want to witness him. I want him to be saved, and so we're talking a little bit about the Lord. Do you have any background in the Bible or know anything about Jesus and this kind of thing? And, and, uh, and, and so we talked a little bit, and he said, man, he said, in my experience, more or less he put it this way, he said, in my experience, the craziest sinners in the entire world are people who were raised around uh, the Bible. And as soon as they get freedom, man, they do stuff that even pagans know uh, not to do. And, uh, and he, said, he said, I'm serious. That's, that's what I see. And then he started telling me about a friend in, in a present tense experience in, in his life. And, of course, these things are, are uh, legendary. I mean, they're all, uh, this report is, is all over the uh, all over the place, and, uh, and, and, and again, epidemic. And Daniel and his friends, they didn't blow out into sin. And here they are living very, very far from home. Uh, who would know? Uh, they're living very, very far from the godly support of, a, of a, a godly family, completely pagan environment. It's Vegas. Everything is open uh, for them to partake in. And, and because they had a relationship with God that meant more to them, than anything that Babylon uh, could offer, uh, they stood. And the single most important thing that a young person and a person of any age can possess in order to stand against the indoctrination and against the wickedness of the world that we uh, live in is that kind of a relationship with God. And to make sure above everything else in life that we get one of those. Not coming to church uh, on Sunday alone and listening to sermons and then doing precisely nothing with it. Or immersing myself into Christian culture or Christian entertainment or self-defined Christianity and all of these things that are around all of us all the time as Christians. But I must have that kind of a relationship with God and not to rest in, in my life until I possess the kind of relationship with God that we see in Daniel and in his friends where that is more valuable to me than anything else in the world. And, I, and just in the honesty of our own hearts here as we sit here tonight and to look and to say, do I have that kind of a relationship with him? Or do I know if I'm being honest with God and myself? I would sell him out, not only for this, but this and this and this as well at the first time that it's offered uh, to me. And no one will stand with that that kind of so-called relationship with God. 
And, and it's important that, that we get that kind of a relationship, and the sooner the better. The good news is, and James has good news in this, in James chapter 4, verse 8, he said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that means that as close as we want to draw near to God and our relationship with Him, He will meet us there. He will meet us there. And that means that every single one of us tonight in this room, every Christian in the world, including myself, we have the relationship with God that we want. Not necessarily that God wants. We have the relationship that we want, and God meets us in, in that place. But it doesn't mean that it's a relationship that is so valued that it would say no to everything that the world might offer to us. And God will give us the relationship with him uh, that we want. We control it and, and, uh, at, at, at this evening. And if any of us sit here tonight and we are not where Daniel and his friends are in this regard, then the importance of, of no big emotional workup, we're not going to do a Jericho march, I'm not going to have you stand, I'm not going to have you come forward, you're fully adults, there's no need to do that. You love God, you're here tonight because you're seeking after Him. But if we can sit here and, and just look and say, and, and any of us in the privacy of our own heart, and to say, I don't have a relationship like that with God. Not only would I sell out, I am currently selling him out on a daily basis. And, and then to determine not to leave this place here uh, tonight until, again, in the privacy of, of our hearts, to draw near to God right now and to just pray sincerely, God, I want that kind of a relationship with you and I don't have it and I sense I have never had it. This relationship that I have had with you is on my terms. It is conditional. I don't know anything about a relationship that can stand with you and for you in the middle of that kind of temptation. But I want it. I want to know that. I want that to be what I have with you and for it to provide a safeguard within my life. And James says, God will meet me there. And he will provide that kind of a relationship to us. But then to realize that uh, that does not mean in possessing a relationship like that, that we will not be a target of the world or the enemy Oh, we'll be quite a target of the world and the enemy. It just means that we'll be able to successfully navigate the temptations and the, the pitfalls that will be uh, brought uh, our way. And here the goal as we, we leave here in verse 5, the goal was that they might serve uh, before the king. This is what they were being uh, groomed for. So much practical. We'll stop there in the middle of the chapter. I hate myself for it, but I didn't want to rush through it. And uh, my wife says, you're the world's worst estimator of time. And I am. And uh, so let's stand together now. But so much to think about, really, from this book that is so practical. And, um, and so much to respond to tonight.
um, as is necessary. So much to maybe even take a little bit of a walk tonight or to just find a, a corner uh, where there's a chair at home and just stop and realize what is it about you in life that will make you a special target uh, of the enemy and the importance of, of guarding that with purpose of heart lest you become a victim like so many others do in the midst of this mess. If you've never ever trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd love to pray with you up in front after the service and begin a personal relationship uh, with God. If you need prayer for anything that we've talked about tonight or anything else that's going on in your life, we'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Paige, would you close us?